Welcome to Women on the Line, a national feminist current affairs program produced by women and gender diverse people at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne on unceded Kulin Nations land and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm Priya Kunjan. In this week's show, we will be looking at some recent updates in the struggle for self-determination of West Papuans, including at the limitations of the Special Autonomy Law, which was renewed in 2021, the Indonesian government's push to rezone the provinces of West Papua and Papua to create five smaller administrative regions, and some of the issues related to freedom of expression and assembly and restrictions on the flow of information out of West Papua. You'll hear first from Esther Haluk, who is a member of Garda Papua, a democratic movement of West Papuan people, as well as a lecturer at Walter Post Theological Seminary in Jayapura. Esther joined me to speak about the Indonesian government's proposed rezoning of administrative boundaries of West Papua and Papua, turning them from two into five smaller provinces and raising significant backlash from West Papuans whose voices have not been considered during the process. Later on, I catch up with Veronica Koman, an Indonesian human rights lawyer who is currently in self-imposed exile in Australia. I'll be speaking with Veronica about some of the ways that the Indonesian government has moved to constrain and undermine the self-determination of West Papuans with respect to civil and political rights, as well as freedom of expression and communication. For now, let's go to that interview with Esther Haluk. My name is Esther Haluk, and I am a women activist and also a member of the organization, a freedom movement organization, Garda Papua. Garda is the uh, democratic movement of West Papuan people. Currently, I am also a lecturer in um, Walter Post Seminary, uh, Theological Seminary in Jayapura. I understand that last year, the Indonesian government put forward a proposal to redraw administrative boundaries in Papua and West Papua in order to divide the territory into a couple of smaller new provinces. And then in late April, the Indonesian House of Representatives uh, unanimously decided to pass a set of bills to create three new provinces despite widespread objections from West Papuans. So can you tell us about some of the reasons why the Indonesian government has given this proposal and what are some of West Papuans' main concerns about the plans of rezoning? Actually, the government, the Indonesian government gave the same reasons that they stated in 1999 when they made this decision. In the past, it used to be only one province. Papuan province, but then they divided uh, through the law, uh, number 45, which is made in 1999 to divide Papua into two provinces. So the reasons that they use is to uh, shorten the span of control. They said from Jakarta to Papua is too long, so to shorten it, they divided into two provinces. So the same reasons also used by the government now to divide for uh, other three more provinces. But the main concern for for Papuan is that the local Papuan, our population is not as high as the Indonesian immigrants that come to Papua. So if the government use that reasons, it's not a strong reason to decide to implement uh, this law. So for, for us here, 
there are many uh, important issues that the government has to pay more attention to, like the military operation that is happening, the problem of the internally displaced person that is happening now, which is uh, reached to almost 60,000 uh, Papuan, and also other problem, other more important than this to the fight uh, Papuan into provinces. So we think, we think as a Papuan, we think it's a kind of form of a settler colonialism because our land is very, yeah, it's a like very big area and more immigrants are coming to Papua to occupy our land. So when, when they create new provinces, who will sit there? Like the government, the Indonesian government cannot manage. It's failed to manage 2 million. The, the last statistic shows that the Papuan are 2 million. In two provinces that we are having now, there are many problems and the central government cannot solve all those problems or fail to like uh, solve all that. And then you want to create more provinces. For what? For whom? Who will occupy those provinces? Who will work there? So we think, as a Papuan, we think that it's a politic of occupation. Because there are, uh, there are many problems of land grabbing, deforestation, and also the passing of law in 2020, the omnibus law is a law that is used by the central government to take lands in all parts of Papua because there are many businesses, companies owned by the people or uh, military officials, the high rank of the military official in Jakarta that is operated across Papua at the moment. So those are the reasons behind why they want to divide Papua into some provinces because it, it doesn't benefit us. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what I understand from what you said is that there really seems to be a total mismatch between what the Indonesian government is doing and what West Papuans actually want. They never involve us. We have MRP. It's a body that perform in, um, according to the law of uh, the spatial autonomy that has a mandate to mediate between the government and the local Papuan. But they never heard this, this body, this MRP. And also they never invoked our representative in the parliament. They never heard what they say. We come to them, we, we want to bring our people problem to them, but they like forbid us to meet even those uh, members of parliament. We have peaceful protests to meet them, but they never allow, allow us to, like what happened in the 1st of April this year and also the 10th. Yeah, I think some other concerns that have been raised about breaking up the provinces is increasing the presence of militarized policing and, and control of West Papuans. And so these protests have been happening across Papua and West Papua since March about the provinces. And you were involved in that action in Jayapura on the 10th. Uh, can you tell us a bit about your experiences at that protest and about the protests in general? Lately, in the past few years, we do not have a freedom of expression whatsoever. The Indonesian said we are the citizen of Indonesia, but we are differentiated from, from the rest of Indonesia. 
because in other part of Indonesia, they can just do peaceful protest demonstration whenever they want. But here in Papua, in order to make a, a demonstration, we have to have permission, permit from this uh, police. And then when they guard us, it's not a police alone. They have a joint forces with the military personnel. And they never allow us because I think because whenever we do the marching from these uh, places that we do to the parliament office, it might get attention or international attention because of the internet and all those things. That's why they fear that the international community attention will be put on us. And then those are things that really make them afraid of allow us, allowing us to have a peaceful uh, demonstration here. There have been a lot of concerns, as you mentioned, about this freedom of expression, and they don't want to have the scrutiny of the international community on them. Before we return to that, I'm also wondering if you can tell us a bit about some of the gender issues in terms of the Indonesian government's treatment of West Papuans, both through this militarized intervention, but also at the level of government policy. So before you said, you know, they're not even listening to representatives of the people, but what does this mean in a gendered sense as well? Well, in a gendered level, because Papua has been areas for military operation for so long, so we have the gender problem related to human rights. Women and children uh, experience it. Like what is happening now in IDP, internally displaced person. Many women, they have to leave their houses They have to live in the jungle. They have to take care of the baby. Some of them give birth on the way in the jungle. We have data here about women who died on the process of giving birth and also the children, the babies who died on the way. They cannot access the health services. There are many problems of health happen in these areas where IDPs are living now. And also, in the future, we are afraid of the uh, future of the young generation because some of the areas are used. For example, in in those areas, in the military operative area, uh, schools are used for the military post, schools and also hospitals and also some churches. So you can imagine 10 or 20 years ahead, what kind of generation we will have, I mean, the Papuan in terms of their health and also in uh, education. That's related to the military operation and the public policy level because we have this um, strong intervention from Jakarta, from the central government, and most of the high rank officials uh, here, most of the posts are belongs to or men are those who sit on that uh, position, the high level. So they will decide based on what they think is the best for women. So most of the policy, uh, it's not the gender sensitive policies. And also there's no protection. There's no law protection toward women who involve in economic sector. Because they have to compete with the immigrants, other immigrants, other Indonesian immigrants to Papua. 
they have money, they have a connection, but the local people, they sell like vegetables. It's something that they produce in their field and then they bring it, but they, the government do not provide a fund to empower the local. So we have the problem, a very high problem of marginalization that's happening at the moment in all across Papua. The only uh, community or the only a group of people here doing the economic sector is women. They are selling things on the traditional market. At the same time, there are some motorbike or any kind of vehicles used by the immigrants to sell their stuff on the street. While women, the local women, local Papuan have to sell things in the market. So you can imagine if the market is, uh, is far from the town, people have to go to that place. But the immigrants, they use vehicles to approach people on, on every house. So they cut this change that the access to the traditional market. So the competition is not fair at all. There should be an intervention from the government, but there's no intervention at all. Yeah, of course. And I mean, I think everything that you've explained in the gender sphere, I guess, speaks to this broader idea around colonialism and trying to, you know, populate that area rather than listen to West Papuans. I'm wondering, what actions do you want to see from the international community on some of these issues, and particularly the Australian government? Because I know our government has a lot of involvement, especially around Indonesia's military and policing as well of that region. One thing that we want related to the military operation that is happening now, I think the cooperation between the Indonesian government with the Australian government, especially in training not only police, the Densus 88, but also for these uh, military vehicles and also the supply of weapons to Indonesian government. Because those things that uh, the Australian government provide for the Indonesian are used now to do the military operation in Papua. So we hope that the Australian government start paying attention we are the, the closest neighbor, the Australian closest neighbor. So what is happening here, the problem of human rights, the violation, the use of excessive power towards the people of, of West Papua in, when we are doing protests, we, we, we are facing humanitarian problems, humanitarian crisis. If the Australian government closed their eyes beg us and then do not hear our cry. Who, who else will hear? You are the, the, the closest one, the closest neighbor that we have. And stop sending or stop training the military officials that killing West Papuan at the moment. The Australian government have death to West Papuan people because of doing that. Taking part in training military to do the operation, I think the Australian government has to stop that. For the international community, we have to review again. One of the demands that we have now in the last protest, especially for UN, to review the act of free choice in uh, 1969, because it's not based on the international vote. 
one man, one vote, but it's done with the Indonesian way. And we want, the West Papua, we want other referendum immediately to stop all these uh, military problems and humanitarian crisis that is happening in West Papua at the moment. You've been listening to Esther Haluk, who spoke with me from Jayapura in the province of Papua about the Indonesian government's plan to redraw administrative boundaries to break up the provinces of Papua and West Papua, as well as broader concerns around West Papuan's freedom of expression and the gendered harms of military occupation in the region. I'll be continuing this investigation into the Indonesian government's restrictions of West Papuan's democratic rights and freedoms in our next interview with Veronica Koman. Veronica is an Indonesian human rights lawyer with a long history of solidarity work with West Papuans, and she speaks with me today about the Indonesian government's continued attempts to quash West Papuans' struggle for self-determination through administrative interventions, militarized policing, and control over media and communications. I am Veronica Koman. I'm an Indonesian human rights lawyer who's currently in um, self-imposed exile in Australia because of my uh, West Papua work. Yeah, the self-imposed exile also really clearly speaks to some of the broader concerns that we're going to be talking about. And um, there's clearly quite a serious mismatch that we've seen between the aspirations of West Papuans for self-determination and freedom and the intentions of the Indonesian government uh, to sort of further entrench their presence in the provinces of Papua and West Papua. So can you tell us a bit about some of the formal mechanisms of representation and claim making that are available to West Papuans? And so I'm thinking about things like the special autonomy law for Papua and West Papua, uh, which has come under recent scrutiny with respect to proposed rezoning of provinces. Mm, yeah, definitely. I would say that democracy is almost of non-existent in uh, West Papua. When I speak West Papua, it refers to both Papua and West Papua provinces because that's what the West Papuan people prefer to be called. And uh, the tactic of divide and rule is what makes the Papua and West Papua provinces. And we are seeing that the same tactic is about to be applied again in the rezoning or to be more precise, Jakarta is forcing through the plan to create three new provinces in West Papua without proper consultation. The Indonesian states claiming that there's special autonomy in West Papua, I see that it is just a whitewashing the Indonesian state's colonialism. It's a way to whitewash the colonialism. So when we look back at when the special autonomy law was first enforced in uh, 2000, uh, that was a few months after the West Papuan leader was assassinated by the Indonesian military, of whom the perpetrator was later promoted because of that. And that leader at that time, Thais Luai, he was opposing the, the special autonomy law. He demanded to be independent. And that's why he was assassinated. And months later, special autonomy law. So since the beginning, it was flawed. So after 20 years, at the uh, end of last year, the, the special autonomy law was renewed again in Jakarta's arbitrary decision. Well, some of us Papuans were taken as, you know, tokenistic uh, classic colonialist tactic to divide and rule. So before the renewal of, of special autonomy law last year, it was yeah wishy-washy kind of autonomy. But because since last year, so basically the, the power is taken back to Jakarta. It's centralized power back to Jakarta. 
And one of the many centralized aspects is the decision to create new provinces. It used to be, uh, it had to be under the permission of this assembly, Majlis Raket Papua, Papuan People's Assembly, and along with the Papua House of Representatives. But Jakarta basically uh, taken back that power and that's why we are seeing how Jakarta can now, this is the continuation, yeah? That's why Jakarta can now create new provinces without the permission of Papuan people. Yeah, I mean, what you've described around the special autonomy law and the renewal of that law really seems to be, I guess, kind of a cover for Jakarta's extension of control. Um, You know, the Indonesian government has been also making plans since at least early 2020 to start developing a massive gold mine in Wabu Block. And uh, this is located in the Intanjaya Regency in Papua province. And I've been thinking about that in relation to the rezoning, because this also kind of speaks to some of those concerns around the appropriation of West Papuan territory and land grabs and the sort of subdivision of the provinces to increase control and presence in the region. Amnesty International did put out a briefing in March 2022, which covers serious violations of human rights and also land rights of Indigenous Papuans. And I was wondering if you could discuss some of those concerns and maybe, you know, touch on some of the issues around freedom of expression and public assembly that have come through these uh, these moves. Yeah, before going to Wabu Block, I just like to remind uh, listeners that the core grievance of First Papuan people is actually in the Grassberg mine, in which is under a Freeport McMoran. It's the largest gold mine in the world. This agreement between Indonesia and U.S. was made in 1967, and the Sham referendum only took place two years later. So Indonesia already promised U.S. that this chunk of gold mine, that's why Indonesia had to win the referendum. That's why it's a core grievance. And so that's why when we are looking at Wabu Block right now, that can be separated from West Papua's grievances. It's all about the natural resources. So this is just the latest example of how Indonesia violates the two core principles of the rights of indigenous people under international law. The first one, right to self-determination, and second one, the free prior and informed consent. And there's so much opposition by the uh, West Papuan people, including the traditional owners of the land of the Wabu Block. And because of the this plan of uh, Wabu Block, there's increase of uh, military deployment, then it increases the human rights violation in the area such that local West Papuans in Wabu Block area, they, even their hairstyle is being regulated. Like if you have long hair, a cornrow, then they will be suspected as the freedom fighters and could cost their lives. And there's also restriction of movement in the area that local people can't even go to market to shop for groceries freely and they can't even garden freely. So, so much uh, that's basically uh, violating the fundamental rights of the local people there. Absolutely. Um, Freedom of expression also really comes up, you know, in the pushback against the provinces, uh, there was real crackdowns at the at the protests that have been happening, for example, most recently in Jayapura. And I'm wondering if if you wanted to, to touch on that as well, just, you know, people's ability to sort of engage in peaceful public protests. 
Yep. So freedom of press and freedom of expression in Indonesia is the worst in、uh, West Papua, and it's not just my opinion, but the RSF make a global rank of countries with their、uh, freedom of expression, and they always highlight that we are putting Indonesia on this rank because of the situation in West Papua. So if the situation in West Papua is not that bad, then Indonesia will get much higher rank up. So it's like a black hole. In in West Papua, I think that the reason why many people, many outsiders, don't know what's happening in West Papua is precisely because of that. That、uh, there's no freedom of expression, there's no freedom of the press, and not only that, but Indonesia been using this huge、uh, propaganda online, misinformation and disinformation. And Reuters found that the Indonesian military is behind this propaganda machine. I've also have. Cases with、uh, international journalists who they they don't want to disclose who they are in order to keep doing their job, but、uh, many of them will receive phone calls by Indonesian military after they、uh, write the story about West Papua that is not in line with、uh, the Indonesian government's version. There's also、uh, instances where、uh, the Indonesian police or military call. The journalist, hey, there's this big protest going on. Please do not cover this story. Yeah, it's really concerning to hear that journalists are being called up and explicitly told not to report. May I add that about censorship? Facebook has been outrageously censoring、uh, West Papuan activists. So West Papuans are being silenced not only on the streets but also on the internet. There's rising trend of criminalizing West Papuans with this draconian electronic law, which is、uh, like many West Papuans have been charged with hate speech online, because they speak about racism. Then, but they're charged with hate speech. Like Facebook been deleting many many West Papuan activists' Facebook account and page. The complicity of these major platforms is is really important when we're talking about this. So thank you for bringing that up. Is there anything else that you wanted to add before we、uh, wrap up? Right to self determination is such a fundamental principle under international law. But why are we so taboo or like feeling subversive when we talk about this right? It's because of the colonialist mindset, and we really need to change the conversation around that. And all people have the obligation to help West Papuan people to get their right to self determination. You just heard from Indonesian human rights lawyer Veronica Koman. Who provided some insights into the Indonesian government's crackdown on West Papuans' struggle for self-determination? Veronica built on some of the issues outlined in today's first interview with Esther Haluk, a member of West Papuan Democratic Movement Garda Papua and a lecturer at Walter Post Theological Seminary in Jayapura. Esther discussed West Papuans' concerns about the Indonesian government's plan to rezone the provinces of Papua and West Papua. Breaking the territory up into smaller administrative units and shortening the span of control from Jakarta. That's all we've got time for this week on Women on the Line. Women on the Line is produced and presented by women and gender diverse people in the studios of 3CR Community Radio on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations and broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network, which is made possible with funding support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Our theme music is by Ripley Kavara. And past programs can be downloaded at 3cr.org.au/womenontheline. forward 
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast.